Amen. Well, take out your Bible and turn with me this morning to the gospel, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 17. Go ahead and find that, and I'll turn there and join you, and we will read uh, this passage together this morning. Luke chapter 17. The Gospel of Luke, I'll join you in there in just a moment. Well, wow. You know, we're living in a day and age where there is so much ingratitude. I mean, we're living in a day and age where Paul does say that, doesn't he? In his letter to Timothy, he says, in the last days, things will wax worse and worse. And one of the first things he says, he says, men will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of themselves. Uh, we, we live in a day and age where it's all about me. It's, it's all about me. It's, it, it, our society beats the drum to the tune of me. And, 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 and with that, ingratitude seems to just be everywhere. I, but yet, as a parent, you know, we live in this day and age where there seems to be so much ingratitude among adults, and yet as parents, we still like instill, try to instill those things in our children. Just the other day, we were out shopping in a store, and the lady who was checking us out in line, and my wife and I were pushing the buggy through the line, and she takes out this big stack of stickers and rips off a sticker and hands it to our daughter, and, and she says this, and I said, so what, what does a parent do, right? You, 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 say, you say what? What are you supposed to say? Say thank you, right? And you're prompting the kid, and so she's like a little shy to this lady that she has no clue who she is, but yet, you know, finally we get it out as we're like making our way past. Thank you, right? You know? And so, um, you know, but, 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 but isn't, that, isn't that interesting that like as parents, we'll take the responsibility to teach our children about gratitude, about being thankful, and yet somehow as we grow to adulthood, um, we find that ingratitude, it actually becomes so pervasive that it's actually something we'll see in part in the story that we've turned to this morning. We've opened our Bibles to Luke chapter 17, and I know we're just picking up in the middle of a story, and it's important for us, though, to really kind of understand where this story falls in this particular day in Jesus' life. And we're told that in Luke chapter 9... and We're not going to turn there, but as Luke is giving us this gospel about who Jesus is, as he was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry, as he records for us things about Jesus, he makes this statement in, in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, the Bible says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, for Jesus to be taken up, Luke says, when the days drew near for Jesus to go to the cross to die and to be buried and, and, and to raise from the dead and to be taken up, the Bible makes this statement that Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem. And, and if you read the account of Luke's gospel, you'll discover Jesus is going all over to different regions and different areas. But there comes a moment in Jesus' life and earthly ministry when everything shifts. And in his mind's eye, he is going to Jerusalem, and he's making this final journey. And Jesus is doing that on this particular occasion where we've opened our Bible to on Luke chapter 17. If you notice verse 11, it starts with these three words, on the way. So Jesus right here is on the way. He has set his face towards Jerusalem. This would be the final time Jesus would go to Jerusalem. This would be his final journey as he goes in to atone for the sins of the world. And notice as Jesus is going on the way, 
we read, there is a story that happens. It's something that is actually rather quite surprising. I want us to read it this morning. If you stand to your feet, we're going to read Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 17. Pick up with me at verse 11 and follow down through verse 19. The Bible says, and on the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, Jesus said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And they went, and as they went, they were, say the next word, cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And the Bible says, now he was a Samaritan. And when Jesus answered to this man who had come back to him, Jesus answered, he, he asked him, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus says now to the Samaritan, notice, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Father, we pray this morning that your spirit would speak to us. We recognize that, Lord, as we've opened up your word, that we have opened up your word. It is your voice. And God, we believe that when your word is open, that your voice is heard. And so we pray this morning that you would teach us. We pray that you would instruct us by your spirit. Lord, help us to see something that's happening here. Help us to see, Lord, this something so, so surprising. But Lord, that it would not be surprising of each of our lives. And so we ask that you would help us in all of this this morning, Lord, to respond in the way you would have us to respond. And we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said... Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. You're taking some thoughts for the message this morning. It's simply this, giving him thanks. Giving him thanks. You've turned in your Bible there to Luke chapter 17. And on this particular day, we pick up in a story in the life of Jesus as he is making his way to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that as he is on the way, right? So as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem toward the cross, Jesus knows what will soon take place. The Bible records for us that as he is on the way, pick up with me in verse 11, notice what the Bible says, that Jesus is traveling between these two border regions. Jesus is passing by in this area between Samaria and Galilee. Now, now when we read that first verse that Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, uh, at first glance, many of us probably wouldn't pick up all the things that that verse is saying. Because there's, that verse is saying to us a lot, but we have to understand some of the Bible context. We have to understand some things that are happening to really get a grasp of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is passing by in this region between Samaria and Galilee. Now, what do we know uh, from historical record? Well, we know that the Jews who were in Galilee looked down on Samaritans. They hated Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. Turn to your neighbor and say they hated them. 
I mean, they hated them. They hated Samaritans. They thought that Samaritans were half-breeds. They were people who used to be Jew, but then went and intermingled with other people, intermarried, and, and they looked down at that. They, they thought that these people were half-breeds. They were, they were compromisers. These, these were people who had, had allowed all this other type of religion to make their way into their own life. They were very syncretistic, if we could think about it that way. Yeah, they may worship God, but they were worshiping all this stuff, their stuff. And, and notice, the Jews looked down on Samaritans. They hated them. But, 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 but how do you know? Like, if somebody hates you, you just have a tendency to want to hate them back, right? And so the Samaritans are hating the Jews. They despise the Jews because they thought the Jews were these elitist people. They thought the Jews were better than thou. And, and the Jewish hatred for Samaritans would run so deep that as they would travel and if you've ever looked at a map of Bible times and you see the area, you realize that Samaria is almost dead center in the middle of where a lot of these Jewish people are traveling. And rather than travel the most direct way, rather than go through the region of Samaria, Jews would bypass the entire region altogether because of their disdain for Samaritans. But you know what? Here's what's surprising. Jesus does the countercultural thing. Jesus does the thing that we would not expect. Jesus goes through this border region of Samaria and Galilee. And there's this, and I just want you to pick it up, right? In this section of region, there is so much animosity. There is so much racial tension. Jesus isn't avoiding it. Jesus isn't saying, oh, that seems like a pretty bad place to be. Jesus goes right in the middle of it. And he's right in the middle of it is where we're going to encounter our story. Follow with me now beginning in verse 12. We're going to see a number of things in this passage this morning. If you're keeping notes, let me give you the first heading. We're going to find a miserable condition. There's a miserable condition. We'll find it here in verse 12. And the Bible says, as he entered a certain village, he was met by 10 what? Someone tell me. Lepers, Jesus is encountered not by one or two, but ten. Ten lepers. And the Bible says they stood at a distance. Now, we have to kind of also understand some things because in Bible times, leprosy was a very, very serious skin disorder. It, was, it, it would not be life-threatening in our day, but in their day, it was such a devastating, incurable disease. It was this skin disorder that would begin to attack the skin. And as, and as it began to attack the skin, it would form these kind of blotchy, bubbly-looking patches on the skin. It would be different colors and it would create this irritation in your skin so much so that it would just begin to pus and ooze. And it would not be just located to one part of your body, but it would spread to many places, those who were very much infected with it, an entire arm or part of their face. And so leprosy would begin to You know, we think, and here's what we think, leprosy eats the skin, all right? Leprosy didn't eat the skin, but what it did is this disease would, would hit people in such a way that it would begin to wear off parts of their extremities or their face unknowingly. I mean, could you imagine if your ear just descends, starts to disintegrate and you don't even realize it and then, and then you brush up against something and then shh, just rips it off. And then there's, there's, there's just this sense in which leprosy had no known cure. It was a miserable condition. 
If you had leprosy in Bible times, you were basically treated as if you were already dead. And can you imagine what it would have been like for these 10 men? These 10 lepers? They were physically unclean. I mean, could you imagine the, the pain, the, the discomfort? Can, can, can you imagine just the, the oozing and, and dealing with that and, and bandaging it up and then you take it off and more is gone? And, 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 and these guys, these, these lepers were to society called unclean. They, they, they would have been referred to as what we think as untouchables. These would have been the guys that would have been sectioned off. They, they would have been uh, so separated from all of society. In addition to just the physical pain and the suffering that they would experience, there would be added this entire level of social stigma. And so not only are these guys in pain, are they suffering from this physical condition, this disfigurement in some way? But because, I mean, you just, could you imagine in Bible times, somebody has this skin disease of which there is no known cure. There's this thing that no one can really explain. And, and, and modern medicine is not the way that it is. And so you're like, uh, I mean, did you see how people reacted during the pandemic? I mean, this is like, this is like social distancing to like the nth degree. Like these guys, literally, in biblical law, if someone had leprosy and they entered a place, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. <laughs> I mean, nobody did that back in 2020, right? I mean, you're down in the supermarket. Would you want to be the person crying out, unclean, unclean? I mean, people were already, I remember walking through the supermarket right in the middle of COVID, and I remember all of a sudden I sneezed. And I didn't, I just don't think. And I sneeze. And then I turn and like the whole supermarket on the aisle that I was in, look at me. And from that moment on, I was marked. I mean, I, I was marked. I had to get out of that place as quick as possible, right? And I wasn't even sick. I just sneezed. And yet, can you imagine the stigma that these guys would have experienced? The social outcast. They are... They are the outcasts, the untouchables of society. They had this physical condition, and they were unclean. They would have been cut off from everything. Their family, friends, their job, all, all of it gone. All of it gone. And we're not told how long these men were in this condition. One week, two weeks, five years, ten years. But we know that they had leprosy. And Jesus meets these 10 lepers, and they were isolated. It's painful to be isolated. I'll never forget, we were down at camp this week, and we were talking about all the different things that had happened over the years, and I thought back to when I was a counselor 14 years ago. And I remember I got sick one week of camp. I got the flu. Instantly, I went into the nurse's station, and I was isolated from everybody. They put me in a room in the lodge by myself. Meals came to the door. I opened up the door, and for an entire week, I was alone until I got some other sick company. <laughs> but there's nothing more sad and, 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 and discouraging than looking out the window at everybody having fun and everybody doing what you want to do and you're there inside because you're isolated and you're sick. And here, here's the thing. These lepers were isolated from everything. Their family, 
from their friends. Could you imagine how lonely it must have been? And they didn't only have a physical condition, but in some sense, there was this spiritual condition. There was, there was this, this reality that these guys were ceremonially unclean. So they would have not just been put away from their family and friends. They were sent out of worship altogether. They could not go into their temple or into their place of worship. They were not only separated from their friends and their family, they were separated from God. They could not worship the way in which they would want to. The book of Leviticus tells us in God's law, listen to what the Bible says about leprosy. The leprous person, God says, who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let their hair hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and then cry out, unclean, unclean. And the Bible says he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. In the Old Testament, leprosy was a sign of God's judgment. And here are these 10 guys who would be alone, but in their misery, they find company. And these 10 men are united in their shared misery. So notice, notice their condition. They're in a miserable condition. And the Bible tells us what happens in verse 12. Pick up with me. And Jesus, as he entered the village, he was met by 10 lepers. And now notice they're at a distance. That's where they should be. No doubt they're calling out, unclean, unclean. But then they say something in verse 13. They lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus sees these 10 men off in the distance and we're not told really in the story what was happening, but no doubt they had heard stories of Jesus of Nazareth. No doubt they had heard stories of Jesus healing people. In fact, in Luke's gospel, we're told uh, just maybe days or weeks prior, Jesus had healed a leper. And so maybe the word of that had spread throughout towns and villages and they get word that, yeah, their condition is not curable, but there is one who can heal. His name is Jesus. And they hear the news that Jesus is making his way into town. And when they saw him, they say, this is our chance. They begin to lift up their voice and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They had an incurable disease. Their life was hopeless. Their situation was miserable. And Jesus now is their only chance for healing. And you say, well, what will Jesus' response be? Notice we see first this miserable condition, but secondly, we see a miraculous cure. Look down in verse 14. Jesus said to them, Jesus said unto them, go and show yourselves to whom? The priests. Now you say, wait a minute. That doesn't seem like much of a reply. I mean, if you were to read the account in Luke 5 of Jesus healing the other leper, Jesus touched him and he was healed. But here, Jesus is saying to go and show yourselves to the priest. But you see, that's important because in Bible times, the priest kind of operated in some way as kind of the city's health officials, all right? Uh, these guys were the ones who had to inspect to see if somebody really was cured of leprosy, whether or not they could re-enter into society. And in Jesus telling these lepers to go to the priest it would actually reveal that they were healed. Like, like Jesus is saying, like when you get there, the priest is going to look that you're healed. Jesus is basically implying to them that they would be healed. 
But there was something that they had to do. Notice we read it um, in the next verse that the Bible says, and as they went, they were healed. There was something on their part that Jesus here is wanting them to obey. Jesus wanting them to take a step of faith, to trust in his word, to go and be healed. And no doubt when they would have got to the priest and the priest would have asked him, where are you? And how did this happen? Those guys would have said, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, that would have been something that would have infuriated the religious leaders. And yet here Jesus tells them that their healing could be, it could happen. Go and show yourself to the priest. All it was was asking these, these 10 men to trust him, to trust him and take a step. And the Bible says in verse 14, look in your Bible, notice what happened. And as they went, they were cleansed. You know, some of us are here this morning, and if I could just say this to you, you're in a place in life and you want God's cleansing. Like, you want the Lord to do something in your life. But some of us in this room here this morning are not willing to take a step of faith to trust God for it. You see, Jesus was asking these men to trust him. He was asking them to step toward the priest, to make a step to do what Jesus had said. Some of us this morning, we want God's cleansing in our life without taking any effort. Some of us want God's healing in our life without taking any responsibility. And here are these men. Notice God wants them to take a step. Jesus wants them to take a step toward their healing. And the Bible says this most miraculous thing happened that as they went, they were healed. And so we see here in this passage this miserable condition with a miraculous cure, but then notice thirdly, we find this moving moment. There's something that happens in verse 15 that catches us off guard. Notice what the Bible says in verse 15, follow along. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell at his feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. One of these turns back when he realized he was healed. I don't think that this is the only guy who recognized he was healed. I think they all recognized they were healed. As they started going the way, they're all healed. Could you imagine the joy, the excitement that must have come over these guys as they think to themselves, I have my life back. I can see my family. I I can go see my friends. I I can go to the temple as they start thinking about the way in which they were healed. Notice they're overwhelmed, I'm sure, with this, this great gratitude. But notice something happens here. The Bible says that only one of them returned to express it. I mean, what do you think? I mean, if we were to come and find all, if we were to find all 10 lepers and bring them up here this morning, and I were to ask all 10 of them, can I ask you a question? Were, were, you, were, were you thankful when Jesus healed you? I think every single one of them would have said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, what are you talking about? Jesus healed me. I'm so thankful for that. My my heart is just overflowing with gratitude. He's given me my life back. I think all 10 were thankful, but there was only one, the Bible says, who expressed his thankfulness. And the most surprising thing in the whole passage is that he was a Samaritan. So, So here's the thing. The Bible says that in everything, give thanks. In how many things? Oh, you're trying to weak on that. And how many things? And everything, give thanks. You and I have to choose 
to have a thankful spirit. And the problem many times today in our lives is that people, and you've been around them as much as I have, are so grumpy, complaining. There are people that are so draining. You know, we, we live in a society where everybody wants to play the victim mentality. Everybody wants to play the victim mentality. This is part of our culture. It's part of it's part of our society. But we have to choose to be thankful. And in fact, each one of us have to make that choice. It's, it's, it's not something that comes by mere feeling. It, it is something that requires our wills. It's something that is a choice. You choose to be thankful. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him this morning, you choose to be thankful. You choose to be thankful. And if you're not thankful this morning, can I say to you in the most loving way I can, it's because you're not choosing it. It's because you're not choosing it. You're not thankful this morning. It's because you've made a choice in your heart that you're not going to be grateful. You're not going to be thankful. That's why sometimes we can look at people in life who are going through things far different than us, far more what seems like difficult than us. And yet, how do we understand it that there is this pervasive joy around them? There is this, this, this contagious gratefulness through it. I remember my Aunt Vicky. When I was growing up, my Aunt Vicky was diagnosed with breast cancer. I think at first she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, and within a number of what seemed like a very short period of time, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And you think about somebody who had it hard, countless treatments, countless doctor's appointments, chemo, radiation, multiple times, procedures. But I'll tell you, I've never met a person who was more joyful in it. I actually wouldn't even, I mean, all this cousins knew it. You wanted to be around Aunt Vicky. You go into her house, you go wash your hands in the sink, and there'd be about five or six cards of Bible verses written right there on index card. You walk around her house, Bible verses of joy were everywhere. She chose thankfulness in her condition. Many people prayed, we did, prayed for her healing. You know, the Lord healed her in a way that no one else could. He took her home to be with him. But I look back on her life and I think about moments growing up, being over at my cousin's house, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll never forget just the depth of thankfulness and gratitude that she exuded even in her trial. You say, well, why is that? Why, why can some people in life go through things and, and there, there seems to be this pervasive joy and, and, and others, you know, uh, we don't see that? Can I tell you? It's because they're choosing better than we are. They're choosing better than we are. This man made a choice. He, in recognizing he's healed, I mean, could you imagine? He's just, we can't even fathom. All these guys are overwhelmed with emotion. And, and as they started walking to the priest, I'm sure the pace in their step really picked up when they recognized they were healed. And here's this guy, though. He recognizes it, and you see what happens in the passage? He stops, he turns back, he runs back. He falls down at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says he's calling, literally he's crying out, giving him thanks. He's worshiping the Lord. He's praising the Lord. He, even in the midst of all of this, he's, he's praising the Lord. He's, he's choosing an attitude of gratitude. He's, he, this guy gets it. 
I mean, and, and, and the Bible says, notice the last phrase, now he was a, say the next word. So, so the one that has really the least, what we would think about as, 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 as the least likely reason to return is the one who turns right back around, runs to Jesus, falls at his feet, and expresses his thankfulness. Ten were lepers. Ten were healed. But only one returned to express his thankfulness. And notice what Jesus says in this. Do you see that there? Verse 17, Jesus asks a series of three rhetorical questions. He says, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is using these three rhetorical questions to highlight the ingratitude of the nine and the indifference of the nine. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure they were thankful. I'm sure they were overcome with emotion. But they never went back to express their gratitude It's like what Andy Stanley says. He says, unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Now, here's the point in the story where we all need to be careful because some of us would just stop there and we would turn the story of these 10 lepers being healed into a story merely about thankfulness. And certainly there is something being said there, but I don't think it's the main point of the story. In fact, if you read... The rest of Luke chapter 17, you'll discover that there's a lot of stories that Luke is pulling together, and this is not only a story about thankfulness, it is much more than that. Notice Jesus makes this statement in verse 19. He says to him, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So clearly, this man got something the other nine didn't get. Not only was he healed physically, but he was healed spiritually. You see, this story in Luke 9, 17 is, is far more than a story of thankfulness. It is a story of salvation because here's the reality this morning. Leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. It's a picture of our condition apart from Christ. It's a picture just like in Bible times. Leprosy was no known cure in the same way, my friend. The fact is that that you and I who are in sin, the Bible says in the book of Romans that for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us in this room have not sinned and and, and none of us in this room have not been tainted by the effects of sin. And and, and so what is this passage teaching us? It's, It's teaching us that in the same way, we're like those lepers, We have this terminal illness. But in the story, there were nine guys that were healed temporarily, and there was one guy that was healed eternally. You know, there's a lot of people, and you can see it as well as I do, you just read the Gospels, and you'll find people who come to Jesus for superficial interests. There were many that came to Jesus. There were many in the crowds who followed Jesus for what they thought they could get from him. Food, healing, deliverance, maybe rescue from the oppression of Rome. But there were a lot of people who, in following Jesus, were not following him for the right reason. They they were not following him for Lord and Savior and King. You know, there's that passage in the 
Gospels that I think so hits me is um, Jesus feeds the multitudes. He's there feeding 5,000. And right after that miracle, they want more. And they come to Jesus, and they're seeking Jesus for more signs, more miracles. They want Jesus for what he'll do for them. And then Jesus gives them this teaching about how in following him, it's literally this life of self-denial that, that they must eat from the bread of life. And the Bible says it was a hard saying and many people heard it. And then the Bible uses this phrase, they turned back. They turned back. They, they turned away from him. That's a, such a hard passage. Because we would have thought up into that moment in Jesus' ministry, wow. Wow. Look at all these people that are serious about the Lord. <laughs> Look at all these people that really want Jesus. And, and they get to this moment where they realize that Following Jesus was going to cost them something. It was going to cost them their life. Jesus said, if any man would come unto me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus said that prior to going to the cross. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, they didn't have in their mind's eye thinking of what Jesus was about to do. No, they thought about a cross as the most excruciating form of torture. What the Romans would inflict on Jewish prisoners. They, they thought about a, a, a painful thing, so painful. And that's what Jesus is calling his followers to. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so there's that crowd, and all of these people are coming to Jesus, but they can't get over what he just said. And so the Bible says many turned away from him, and Jesus then looks at the 12. And it was like, do you want to leave as well? And Peter said, remember, he says, Lord, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. He got it. The Samaritan got it. He recognized Jesus not only for what he would receive from him, but he came back expressing his gratitude in a way so profound to give glory to God. You see, the Samaritan is a picture of those who believe. Believers and unbelievers all alike have received common grace from God. We all have the privilege of living in God's created world. We all have many of the common graces that God would give us in this life. But there are a lot of people that are content to only receive temporal things. But God wants to give you something spiritual that's eternal. Paul says, if we have faith only in this life, we are of all men most miserable. This guy was not only healed physically, he was healed eternally. And you say, so Pastor Aaron, what's the point? Two points this morning. Number one, have you responded to Jesus in saving faith? Jesus says to the Samaritan, do you see it there in verse 19? Rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. We say, wait a minute, weren't the other ones made well? Yes. Jesus is not talking physically. He's talking spiritually. Jesus gave this man. This man received salvation that day by faith. Have you responded to faith in Jesus Christ? But I believe this morning I'm talking to a lot of people that maybe are. People who would at least profess to be. Can I ask you this question though? Are you expressing your sincere gratitude to the Lord for who he is and all he's given you? 
are you like the Samaritan? All of those men were healed and surely all of them were thankful, but only one returned to express his gratitude. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. You see, the statistic in this passage where 10 were healed, only one returned to give thanks. I think it's probably the statistic. Many people receive Christ, accept Christ, but do they express their gratefulness to the Lord? When was the last time, can I ask you honestly this morning? When was the last time you thanked the Lord for saving you? Sincerely, out loud, to the Lord. You see, a lot of us want to receive God's benefits. A lot of us want us to take in what God would give, but how many of us would return and praise the Lord? Man, we have so much to be thankful for. I mean, we have so much to be thankful for. Jesus died for our sins, amen? I mean, he died for us. And the Bible says our sins are, are buried in the deepest ocean. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. He remembers our wrongdoings no more. No more. I mean, God's not like some people. And they say, well, you know, remember what you did like five years ago. God's not like that. God's not like that. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He remembers our wrongdoings no more, amen? It's something to be thankful for. God has saved you to be part of his family, to put you within his community. He's given you the powerful indwelling spirit of God. He's given you his precious word. He's, he's given you so many things. He's set your life on a course for eternity, for heaven, I mean, if that doesn't get us fired up, man, something's wrong. Something, something's wrong in our heart. If, 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 if we're living a life of ingratitude, and the fact is, man, we're living in a day and age when so many people are ungrateful, so many people are anxious, so many people are negative. I mean, it's hard to find some positive people. It's hard to find some positive people who will pour into your life such faith. But man, when you find one of those people, you know that there's something about them that you just resonate with and it's something that you want to be because, because you can choose your attitude. You can choose to be thankful. You know, here in just a moment, we're going to express our thanks in the Lord's table. You see, the word eutychus is literally the word of thanksgiving, of praise. So, so when we think about confessing Jesus in this way this morning, when we think about giving God praise... I hope you will this morning. Don't get caught up in the negativity. Don't get caught up in the negativity. Choose to be grateful. Choose a life that is joyful. I remember someone once said to me, and I'll end with this, we either choose to live in an attitude of resentfulness or thanksgiving. You can't, you, you, you can't, those, those are the two choices. Are you going to be grateful to the Lord today for who he is, what he's done for you? Is that just going to well up in your heart with expressed gratitude to the Lord? Or today, are you going to live a life of regret? Are you going to live a life of ingratitude? Are you going to live a life of resentment? And my friend, there's a lot of Christians that get hung up in their spiritual life and they're living a life of resentment. And when you talk to them, you don't have to talk to them longer than a couple minutes and you know they're hung up about something. Well, they've not chosen to be grateful. They've not chosen to be thankful. You see, thankfulness, thankfulness really 
is the only condition in which the life that God has given us can be enjoyed. You don't enjoy life if you're not thankful. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. How thankful have you been? How thankful have you been? Not just for what God's given you, but are you thankful for Him? Have you told Him? I'm going to give you an opportunity right here this morning. Bow your head, close your eyes. Jessica's going to come. When she comes, she's going to begin to play. And I want you this morning just to stop. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. This morning, give Him praise. Give Him praise. Give Him praise for what He's done in your life. For who He is. Let's express our gratitude to the Lord personally this morning. Would you, would you call out there right in your heart? Tell the Lord how thankful you are.